0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, I'm Nicholas Gordon, host of the Asian Review of Books podcast, done in collaboration with the New Books Network. In this podcast, we interview fiction and nonfiction authors working in, around, and about the Asia-Pacific region. Fifty years ago, President Richard Nixon stepped off a plane in Beijing, a visit that changed the course of China, the U.S., the Cold War, and the world. The stories in Jen's newest story collection, Thank You, Mr. Nixon, published by Knopf earlier this year, covers the 50 years since then, including stories like a Chinese woman press ganged into translating for her Western tour group to an English professor struggling to teach the wealthy Chinese students at his university. Gish Jen is the author of one previous book of stories, five novels, and two works of nonfiction. Her honors include fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation, the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study, and the Fulbright Foundation. Her stories have been chosen for the best American short stories five times, including the best American short stories of the century. She has also delivered the William E. Massey Senior Lectures in American State at Harvard University. Today, Gish and I talk about why she wrote this new story collection covering 50 years of encounters and connections between Chinese Americans and Chinese Americans. So, Gish, you know, thank you so much for joining us on the Asian Review of Books podcast. You know, I want to start with, uh, you know, thank you, Mr. Nixon is, is being published on the 50th anniversary of Nixon's visit to China. It's the start of China's opening to the outside world. Was that deliberate um, or is that just a happy accident in terms of how the book was written?
0: Well, it was kind of both. So, um, so I was here in my little cabin in Vermont um, sitting by a lake. It's, you know, during COVID, uh, it's very quiet. Um, I just finished another book, The Resistors, as you may or may not know. And um, I was thinking about what to do next. And, you know, the obvious thing was to do a collection of stories because I did have a bunch of stories that I'd written over the years. Um, all of them include, you know, involving China <laughs> And I, you know, I, I was thinking about them, and then suddenly I realized like, oh my God, it's the 50th anniversary of the of Nixon's visit to China coming up. And um, so that idea of of sort of trying to think about capturing the 50 years in a book um kind of occurred to me as I sat here by this lake. And um, and I and I, I realized that I just had to write some more stories. The stories were already sort of interlinked to begin with. And, and it occurred to me that uh, by making it 50 years that, you know, I had a whole arc, you know, very novel like arc. Um, a lot of people have sort of said, this is kind of a novel in stories. And I think that's right because the story, each story has an arc, but the book as a whole also has an arc um as it captures, you know, c- kind of what happened, you know, the great excitement of those early years, you know, the great improbability of it. Um, and, and, um, and then, of course, you know, ended up on a note that's that's I don't think anybody could have seen um, back in the beginning.
1: Right. Because, you know, as, as I was reading the book, you know, you see these characters, you know, the, the the protagonist of one story will pop up in another story, even if just as a reference. Um, but it does kind of make the collection seem it really is this kind of grand narrative about the 50 years of China's reopening of Chinese Americans coming to China, ex- seeing it for. The first time ever or the first time in decades, Chinese going to America to live, to study, to work, um, it really everything does seem to like knit together in this kind of one, in, in, in this kind of grander narrative about, about China.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's one of these things that, you know, as I was, you know, as a writer, you know, you said you you weigh your project a little bit. And I, you know, I like this approach, you know, partly because I already had, you know, some stories. I mean, I did have to write another five stories. So it's not like it was all written. I, you know, I had a lot of writing to do. Um, But it's also true that, you know, when you think about a project, like trying to capture that 550 years, I mean, that is just an impossible project. And, you know, and I, you know, and I, I do it, you know, at this stage of, of literary history, we don't, you know, we, we stay away from grand narratives. Right. Um, But it's, so you know, all you can do is give a sense of what's happened. You know, you can't, you really can't capture it all. Too much has happened. I mean, it's, it's, you know, this is a huge story. Um, But, you know, but this, but this approach allowed me to, you know, to suggest some of the things that people experienced and the ways some of the ways in which people um, were affected and and most importantly you know to give a sense of of time changing and and our times changing
1: so I do want to start with the very first story in the collection which is um, which is this letter to Nixon who um, <laughs> who was who in hell um, and it's very different from the other stories in the book, and so I wanted to ask, you kind know, of, why start with that particular, I, I, I guess, style of of writing. I guess, why why style this first story to launch this whole collection as as this letter to to a deceased Nixon. <laughs>
0: Well, let me just sort of say that, you know, I, I use a lot of different um, approaches in, in this book. I mean, there's also a story, as you will remember, that's really based on a, on a business case. You know, a lot of people commented on that, especially people in business. It's, it's funny, it's a form of writing, which obviously many people are acquainted with, and but which you never, ever, ever see in literature, um, even though we borrow from everything, comics, movies, everything, but no one has ever bought, borrowed from a business case before to my knowledge. Um, so, you know, so there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, you know, it's not like every story is, is a straight ahead, um, a realistic story, but um, but this particular story, as you know, as you're saying, it, it is, a, is a letter from, um, from a girl in heaven to Richard Nixon, who is in hell. Um, and she is, she feels bad that he's in hell because, you know, that she sees it very differently. She sees it as many Chinese do. as kind of this great gift that he came and of course, she, as you know, is very smitten by Pat Nixon's red coat, as many Chinese were. And, um, and, and I wrote it, it, if it seems very different, it is true that you know, most, of the, most of the stories reflect a time that I myself lived through or an experience that I myself, if I didn't live through it, it myself, that I know someone who lived through it, right? So they they have some kind of tethered to reality. Um, that particular moment in you know in in, in history, uh, I do not have any particular access to, you know. Um, so that's one of the reasons it's you know it's maybe a more you know completely imagined piece. Um, but the other part of it is that you know I I did sort of want to give a sense of of what happened in Nixon's visit which is not just on the you know not just the official history of course we have lots of official history um but also, you know, how people reacted to it, you know? And like I say, you know, the fact that for this girl, you know, whatever Nixon was doing, what she remembers was that red coat. And I do think that in that moment of people's fascination with Pat Nixon, and as you know, they were fascinated, um, you, you know, you can see the first little seed that was going to become this whole, you know, capitalist um. Weaver that we see today, so you know it's it just it seemed to me to be a very important moment, and of course it, it does literally lead in in my book um, to people opening little businesses. I mean that family goes on to have a little coat business, and um, and as as you are well aware, sitting there in Hong Kong, you know um, much more happens than just a couple of, of coat businesses, right? You
1: no, know, it's 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 fascinating. You know, I you mentioned this. It seems to be based off a business case in your absolutely right it does feel like it's kind of based off of these case studies of of these of these businesses that kind of grow in China um supplying supplying the rest of the world with these with these consumer products um and it's been well, spun but- out into this
0: yeah, well, no, I mean, there's an actual business case, you know, mm. the, the, you know, the the detail. I mean, there was right. you know, a couple is actually writing a business case, and um, and I will say that that business case that I that I use in that story is an actual case that I wrote with somebody else, actually for Harvard Law School. And, um, and I, I, you know, they didn't use it in the end, um, but, but somebody I know who, you know, who's working in China, um, I mean, you know, that is absolutely, you know, his description, of what goes on, you know, as well, the kind of things that can go wrong if you open a little tea business <laughs> or, or um, I mean, that's stuff that's straight from life. I mean, that is exactly what it would have been like.
1: So, so I, I want to start talking about kind of, some of the sto- uh, some of the other stories you kind of talk about in in your book. Um, and and I was thinking about how to kind of structure this conversation and and I kind of saw the book as vaguely fitting into two halves, and I know that's going to be overly simplistic. Um, but at the beginning of the book, you have these stories about Chinese Americans or Chinese that moved to America because of, you know, the communist takeover, they have to leave the country, um, returning to China. And the two that come to mind in that particular case, there's the uh, story about the family that goes as part of a tour group, an overseas tour group. And um, Opal, um, the Chinese mother of one of the tourists that go, has to end up translating all the time. For, for the tourists, which is a very exhausting process um, for her as she is returning to China for the first time in, in decades. Another story that fits in this vein is the story of um, of, of Duncan, uh, who goes to teach English in the Coal Mining Institute um, and kind of grappling with being a, being a foreigner in China and some of the baggage, positive and negative, that comes with that. Um, and so I guess if, I, if you mind, ask, can I talk about what, Why you wanted to tell stories like that in terms of these Chinese, either Chinese, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the word exiles. I don't quite mean it that strongly, um, but kind of Chinese exiles or Chinese Americans going to China for the first time in decades after its reopening.
0: Well, I'm telling that this is the project of the book, right? So, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. trying to tell the story of what it was like, um, you know, <laughs> after after Nixon went to China and like what that meant for people and of course of course I myself I'm Chinese American my my parents are immigrants of course I'm interested in the story of of the very first story of all these people going back to China where you know where they hadn't been able to go for so many decades Um, my my family of course made such a trip in 1979 Um, Opal is not my mother and you know this, you know the things in the story that happen in the story never happened to me, right? Um, but it is true that in a general kind of way, um, in fact, we you, you sort of they're actually pointedly not on an overseas Chinese tour, right? They actually go on a you know kind of more mainstream tour. Um, which, which Opal sort of regrets. Um, um, I must, my own family went on an overseas Chinese tour. Um, but I remember very much, you know, I mean, I definitely wanted to capture, you know, what China looked like to people like that, as you know, it's, you know, it's China is just opening and people like my family are going, are going back. Um, you know, in, in my mother's case, she's going back. Um, people were my people like me, second generation are tagging along. And, you know, we are aware that our parents come from this place, but, you know, we have no idea that really is a reality. Um, And of course the reality that's there is very different than the reality that, you know, people like my parents actually grew up in. and of course, I'm just interested in, you know, in, in the kind of the emotional truths that that arise out of such a visit. So I'm trying to capture that first moment of China opening and what it was like. Um, and, but also, um, yeah, what it, what it meant. And I, and I do think that kind of the in-betweenness that, that Opal ends up with, you know, this feeling like, yeah, you know, where does she belong? You know, she's gonna translate for the rest of her life. You know, I, I think a, a lot of people did come back with that kind of feeling, you know, like they, it sort of starts off they're going home, except that it isn't really home. Right. Um, uh, my mother, you know, then the trip that we went on um, literally had to translate as well. It's very different than Opal's because we were on an overseas Chinese um, tour. But um, it was, you know, it's one of the things that you, you may appreciate from Hong Kong is just it's just that we didn't realize, I think, is that even yeah, that even though people all, you know, quote unquote, speak Chinese, um, at that time it didn't mean that they could understand each other. So there we were on an overseas Chinese tour, and my mother had warned us that, you know, we, the children of my family, would be the only ones who didn't speak Chinese. But in the end, even though everybody was a native Chinese speaker, um, they could not understand each other because you know even in mandarin because their mandarin was so different one from the next that in the end we would go to every city and um the tour guide would say something in the local dialect we would have a a translator to mandarin and then my mother would translate everything from mandarin into english (laughs) And, and quite ironically um yes oh you know everything that happened was was in english and um uh, for, for various reasons, that was just not the story I wanted to tell in this particular story. But but um, but this business of just how complicated it actually was, and how you know how many unexpected things there were, um, I remember that feeling very very well. Um, and the next story, Duncan in China, you know, like you know, so you see this. There's a there's a time progression here, right? So so some years later, you know, first you get this first wave of people who come on these tours, um, then you have a wave of people um, like myself who, um, go back to China, try to, to try to spend some time there. Um, and, um, Again, I am not Duncan, and I did not come home with, you know, I did not fall in love with anybody while I was there the way he does. Um, but a lot of the background um, definitely comes from a life. Um, I myself did go back to, to teach in a coal mining institute um, in 19, I guess it would have been 1980. Um, and um, and, a, and certainly, you know, I do definitely use a, a lot of, of the um a lot, a lot of my experiences um, are, are, are reflected in Duncan and China. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, some of these things, you know, people often ask me, you know, how much of it do you, you know, do you make up and how much of it do you take from life? Um, the storylines are always made up, but a lot of the background detail I do take from life. And one of the reasons is because I, I now see that, um, even though I'm a fiction writer, that I kind of play an important documentary Role, you know, like people who want to know, well, what was it like, you know, if I was there and I have notes, you know, it is incumbent upon me to actually use the notes and to actually, you know, convey what I actually saw, and I think it's it's valuable to everybody. Um, I mean, one of the reactions, of course, you know, one writes a book like that and gets many reactions, but uh, one of the reactions I was really happy about was the reaction of Lisa C, who was also a fiction writer, but who's also done a ton of research you know, in, into China over the years. And, um, you know, and she said to me that she thought that she saw, you know, China representatives she had never seen um, and just was really, you know, was really impressed. I, you know, I, I was thrilled, you know, because that's part of my job too. I mean, it's obviously not my whole job, um, but I, but I was happy. I was happy that I'd gotten that detail down and um, I'm happy that people looking at it think, Oh my God, that's just what it was like. Um, and I'm happy that other, other fiction writers looking at it think, Oh wow, you did a good job. Um, so like I say, it's only one part of what I'm doing.
1: So I, I'll talk about some other stories in, in the collection, you now, and I guess these stories kind of, we're, we're jumping forward in time now. Um, but the two that I, remember most from, from let, let's call it kind of, kind of the latter half of the collection, the collection, the stories that are more about um, Chinese moving to America as opposed to Chinese Americans going back to China. Um, yeah, and well, those it's, collections it's so, are, oh, sorry. So I,
0: a, and I'm sorry, it's not so much a different thing. It's, it's you know, over what you see the through line is time. So kind Mm. of in the beginning, so it starts in 1972, then you have these early things of people going to China. And then of course, as time goes on, more people from China start to come, right? So suddenly you have people in a law school class who just never would have been there before. So what I'm trying to capture is a sense of the whole world changing. And, um, yeah, so it's not that it's another, it's, it's not, I, I, at least, or I don't see it as the book falling into halves at all. Um, I see it as, you know, as things are different. We have a different social reality, um, and in the new social reality, now all of it related to Nixon's visit, um, in the new social reality, um, yes, we have new people, you know, in our classrooms, you know, we have new people coming to visit, um, you know, so yeah, all kinds, like, so I guess in one way of thinking about this, because every single one of these stories, um, there's something about the story that, where the story could not have taken place had Nixon not gone to China.
1: Does that make sense? Yes, and, and 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 you mentioned the classroom, and that leads into one of one of the stories that um, I remember kind of very vividly, which is uh, which is uh, the one about Rothko, um, the English yeah. professor who is working with, um, not quite an art forger. I think you, you you probably have a better way of describing what 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 this artist yeah, is
0: trying to do. she's definitely an art for, forger. Okay, <laughs> she's not the she's not she's, the top of the. But-
1: to is <laughs> no, no. It's like is this a big thing in the book where it's like the English professor says like it's not really forgery. No one's lying to anybody. We're just choosing not to convey <laughs> the full truth. Um, right. But, but that, but that really says because like is like because that kind of gets it. You mentioned the classroom, kind of this, um, these like the 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 Chinese students who would go to the United States to study um, out of some, I guess, because the families were seeking status or something like that, um, and. Again, like as you note, the it's a it's it's a of time, kind of how these social relations change, um, as we kind of get to 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 stories that are more connected to the or not connected stories that are closer to the modern day, kind of like how how are you seeing those social relations, I guess change adapt over time from I guess in the decades immediately after uh, Nixon and Mao reopened China.
0: Well, you know, in Rothko, Rothko, you know that story. You know, so that that involves this this teacher, right? And and of course, one of the things about so how, how could this? When I sort of say the story it could never have come about had had, had Nixon not gone to China, um, had Nixon not gone to China, you know, um, this teacher wouldn't, this Asian-American teacher would not have all these tiny students in his class. So the whole, right, the whole premise of the story where he meets this, this, you know, through one of his students, he ends up involved with this art forger. Um, None of that could have happened, right? I mean, he would never have the student in his class um, if Nixon had not gone. Um, But anyway, so there he is, he's got all these tiny students. um, And as you know, there's a lot in the story not just about his relationship with the the student who leads to the art forger, but the students in general, you know, with all their, you know, they're trying so hard, but they are in, they come from a very different educational um, background. And um, so all the issues around imitation and plagiarism um, are all with us now, you know, so these are issues that like, again, if, China, if Nixon hadn't gone to China, we would not have these students in our classrooms, and we would not have the kinds of cultural um, issues that they present. And so there, I'm really getting it kind of like, you know, the two cultures coming into contact um, in this way. And, you know, with Complete bafflement, you know, on um, on both sides. Um, so, you know, and there is a way in which this this teacher, as you remember, is is very sympathetic, um, not just to the art forger who he sees as, you know, I mean, there's a lot of deception going on and honestly what she's doing and is is the least of it right I mean what about as, as you recall you know they they refer to Rothko's as being sold for millions of dollars and um, that is true I mean a gallery in New York took you know that's a that is that that's an actual true thing that a that a gallery in New York took some of these Rothko um took a Rocco knockoff, which was done by a painter. He got paid like $8,000 and she turned around and and sold it for like you know, north, northward of $8 million to the chairman of Sotheby's, you know, so it's one of these things where some, the art forger looks like the bad guy, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, we have bad, it's not just the Chinese art forgers are not the only problem here. Um, you know, it's the, the, the gallery owner is American and, um, and, you know, I think that she's, you know, she's definitely um, also in um, problematic territory, doesn't begin to describe it, right? Um, so so you know in, in you know in in this larger context, you know the the whole question also of these students who are trying so hard, but who have learned to, Um, to learn through imitation, you know, and, you know, how problematic that is here in America, where we have much more individualistic ideas, where originality is everything. And, um, and, you know, an idea that just really is just really quite foreign to them, you know, and so when she sort of says, but I, you know, I hand in my piece, and, you know, I used turnitin.com. And it said it was only, you know, 15% plagiarized. And my, 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 you know, uh, my teacher in China said that that was okay. (laughs) And the guy says, no, we can't even, percent plagiarized it must be zero percent plagiarized and you know and she is very genuinely confused and and just not sure how how to go on and and actually she is quite genuinely in love with literature and and genuinely uh, wants to do well has made a has, has really um has has really taken Quite a bold step in deciding to major in English against her parents' wishes, and she's in quite a difficult situation. And he genuinely wants to help her, but she genuinely does not know how to go forward. And um, you know, so I'm interested in, in in the predicaments all around. And like I say, you know, so to me, this is the kind. It's a kind of story that we would never have had. Um, in our classrooms, or in literature, um, but for Nixon's having gone to China, right? So this is, I mean, I don't think we would ever see, you know, in, in quite so um, dramatically um, what the cultural differences are, how deep they are, and how intractable.
1: You know, you, we, we, we've we constantly kind of talked about, you know, Nixon's trip to China, Nixon helping to open China. Um, as kind of one of the motivating factors behind a lot of stories in the book. And I want to kind of have, my, as my last kind of real question, um, you know, you're, you're writing this book at a time when U.S.-China relationship, like, sorry, U.S.-China relationship appear to be fraying. Um, there are definitely fewer, it seems like there are fewer connections between ordinary Americans and ordinary Chinese people. Um, there's obviously much less travel because of COVID. Um, it seems like the business relations are, um, being, being pulled apart to some extent. Um, you know, how do you see kind of your book and kind of talking about these in talking about these connections between Chinese, Chinese Americans and Americans, um, and the complications that come from that, how do you see kind of your book? sitting in this kind of, I guess, in, in our current day context of decoupling, fraying relations, however you want to describe it?
0: Well, you know, I hope that my book supplies some, some um, perspective, you know, so I hope that people can remember, you know, just how much has happened in 50 years. And, and, if, and I hope that because people hope. I mean, I think that um, obviously things are at a terrible point right now, um, but things change. China changes. China changes fast. And um, and uh, America changes also sometimes also fast um, sometimes not in the right direction but in any case um, so I just hope that you know people can remember um, what this journey has been and also be aware that you know we're, we're just we're kind of at a little pausing spot now or at fifty years but there are fifty more years after this fifty years and um, as much as has changed in this first fifty years we can change again in the next 50. So, um, so all is not lost in in my, in my view. Um, And, um, and I hope that also though, you know, in my book, I think that you do get some sense of um, how many people's lives are changed by all of this. And, um, and I, and I do think that, you know, for anybody involved in U S China relations, I'm sure they're aware of just, how much it means to people's lives i hope that that comes across in this book Um, and um and for all that i just sort of said all this about cultural difference i I, what i think you can see too over the course of the book are definitely two cultures that are definitely coming closer together like i say it's it's bumpy (laughs) very bumpy Um, but they but they are coming closer together and um and many wonderful things are coming out of that as well
1: so with that I think that ends our interview with Gish Jen, author of Thank You, Mr. Nixon. Uh, so you can follow me, Nicholas Gordon, on Twitter at nickri Gordon. That's N-I-C-K-R-I-G-O-R-D-O-N. You can go to Asian Review to find other reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts. Follow on Facebook or on Twitter at Book Reviews Asia. That's reviews plural. And you can find countless other author interviews at the New Books Network at NewBooksNetwork.com. Network.com. There be podcasts on favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher rate us, recommend us, share us with your friends. If you want to support us continuing to interview those writing in, around, and about Asia. Stay tuned for who's coming up next on the show. But before then, thank you so much, Gish, for joining us today.
0: My pleasure, Nick.